Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. COVID-19 cases continue to surge in California as millions return to work and school today following the holidays. A lot of this can be traced to the Omicron variant, which is proving to be more easily transmissible. Hospitalizations have also risen steadily this winter, although nothing like the surge the state saw in December of 2020 and this past summer when the Delta variant took hold in California. We spoke earlier this morning with UC San Francisco infectious disease expert, Dr. Monica Gandhi, about this most recent surge. We are seeing a lot of cases, but our hospitalizations are staying very low. In fact, there has never been a time in the pandemic where there is such a prominent decoupling of cases and hospitalizations. This is actually being seen all over the world with the Omicron variant, but especially in places like California with high rates of vaccinations, low, low hospitalizations compared to the massive rise in cases. And do you attribute that low rate of hospitalizations to vaccinations, the, the fact that so many more people are now vaccinated compared to, to months past? So there are actually two reasons. It's not just high rates of vaccination, even though that's a very prominent reason. But what we saw with the Delta wave is that our high rates of vaccination kept our hospitalizations lower, but we still saw more hospitalizations. There's something else going on with Omicron. And that other thing is that Omicron itself is a more milder variant, even among those who are unvaccinated. How do we know that? We now have five laboratory and in vivo studies that are showing us that the Omicron variant, it's very difficult for it to infect lung cells as compared to the other variants. It stays in the upper airway. So it's both more mild and we're highly vaccinated. Those are the two things we have going for us in this wave. And of course, you aren't arguing for complacency. You're still saying that, hey, people really have to be careful out there. So you're right that we still have a very high wave of cases. And so this is the time to be careful. This is going to probably peak in mid-January, according to the models, because the other thing about Omicron is that it goes up and it comes down fast. But we still have a couple of more weeks, yes, for our cases to be high and to stay vigilant. We're speaking at a time where a lot of families are preparing to send their children to school again. I know you aren't a pediatrician, but do you have any advice for them or are there things you're going to be looking for as the school year starts up again? So I think we've seen two years into the pandemic that in-person learning is extremely important for mental health and not having learning loss. So we want our children back in school. So how do we do that safely? 
So everyone's testing before they go back to school. Um, at a certain point, we're likely to go to testing with symptoms. But at this point, it's asymptomatic testing because not every child can be vaccinated. And then anyone who's not feeling well should stay out of school, much more staying home than we ever did prior to the pandemic if you have upper respiratory symptoms. And then the Omicron variant does cause more upper airway symptoms. Again, it doesn't infect the lungs very well. So it looks like a whole bunch of other colds. So that's why testing to distinguish it from other colds is important before going back to school. All right. That is physician and Professor Monica Gandhi with UC San Francisco. Thank you so much for joining us on the California Report. Thank you. And in other health news, hospitals and blood donation centers are asking healthy Californians to give blood amid a nationwide shortage. KPCC's Jackie Fortier has the details. The pandemic closed many traditional blood drive locations for months, just as the need for blood has increased as more people undergo delayed surgeries. We are in a dire shortage. Grima Yazdani is with the Red Cross in L.A. She says most healthy adults can give blood, even former COVID patients. If you've had COVID and you've recovered and are no longer required to be quarantined and it's safe for you to donate, we also welcome you to come and give. You'll have to also go through just the same general screening that we require of every donor. Each unit of blood donated in the U.S. is routinely screened for disease pathogens, including the coronavirus. Starting tomorrow, the Red Cross is instituting a COVID vaccine mandate for all workers at blood donation sites. Those workers were not covered under a previous California health worker vaccine order. For the California Report, I'm Jackie Fortier in Los Angeles. Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State, because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as like the place to be California, the land of milk and honey. That's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Weather-wise, 2021 went out with a bang in California, with a series of late December storm systems dropping a huge amount of rain and snow on the state. Average precipitation in many places was 150 to 300 percent above normal, and a record amount of snowfall for the month was recorded in the central Sierra. So, were weather watchers surprised by how powerful the storms were? We talked about that with state climatologist Michael Anderson. 
Well, no, this is one of the outcomes that we can get from a La Nina type circulation. La Nina is when the eastern tropical Pacific waters are cooler than average. And that means the storms go up and over and come down. And when they come down over water, we get that opportunity for these cold storms to put a lot of snow and rain on the state. What does this mean in the short term for replenishing our reservoirs like Hetch Hetchy and so many others in Northern California? So it's good that we get these storms that kind of have a mix of higher freezing elevations and then lower, because then when they have the higher freezing elevations, we get runoff and that runoff can flow into those reservoirs and restore some of the storage that was spent during the drought. With the cold storms, then all that precipitation falling gets stored as snow, and we have to wait till the sun comes out and some of that snow starts melting for that water to get back into the rivers and, and make its way down to the reservoirs. The recent storms have reduced the area of the state considered an extreme drought from 79 to 33 percent. But Anderson cautions that California is still very much in a drought, and the state will need several more winter storms to get out of it. In other news, scientists and volunteers from San Diego to the Oregon border are flocking to shorelines this morning to document the king tide. That's the unofficial term for the highest the tide ever gets. These king tides are increasingly important to record, say researchers, because they offer a look into growing threats to our state from climate change. KCRW's Kaylee Wells tagged along during last month's king tide. Here we go. Here we go. It's coming up. That was a big one. Dr. Michael Quill is the Marine Programs Director for the nonprofit LA Waterkeeper. He's taking pictures of the king tide in Malibu. We just had a wave come right up to the steps here. He's standing at the top of a staircase that leads to the ironically named Broad Beach. The beach is disappearing. I think there are another 10 stairs below the sand right here that are now, that's the high water line. Most of the staircase is buried in sand since the tide is getting closer. What's left is wet with ocean spray. From where the rocks are to this property, it's just dwindling away, dwindling away, dwindling away. I'd be kind of concerned if I'm sitting there in that house and the water's going under three quarters of my house. I mean, it's just a matter of time. Here's how king tides work. High tides come around twice a day, and they're especially high when the sun and the moon are aligned. That happens twice per month, when the moon is new and again when it's full. Here's Forrest Curtis with the nonprofit Heal the Bay. We have an elliptical orbit around the sun, and sometimes we're closer to the sun than other times. And in the northern hemisphere, because of the tilt of the Earth, that's in the wintertime. So So once per year, usually December or January, we're closest to the sun, and the sun's gravitational pull is stronger on us. And then in addition to that, our moon has an elliptical, not quite round orbit. And there are times when it's also closer. And so we are experiencing a time where both the moon and the sun are simultaneously the closest they could be to the Earth inside their relative orbits. The king tides indicate how high the ocean will get as the climate gets warmer and sea levels rise. Since the late 1800s, the sea level already has risen globally about nine inches. If we do a great job curbing our greenhouse gas emissions, then sea levels will rise another 10 inches. If we do a bad job and don't curb our emissions, it could be another eight feet in a worst case scenario. So that's why volunteers are taking pictures of the king tides now 
and sending them off to environmental scientists like Carrie Batha at the California Coastal Commission. Because there's nothing like getting real evidence from the ground to show you, you know, where the water is going to go. Scientists call it a window into our future as sea levels rise. But Batha says evidence has revealed that it's not just a problem for coastal residents. Kind of an evil twin of sea level rise is that the coastal groundwater table will also rise as sea levels rise. Recent research out of UC Berkeley found that 145,000 California residents live near a hazardous facility that's at risk of flooding by 2100. Think power plants, oil refineries, and industrial facilities. And when you think about things like industrial sites, there might be pollutants buried in the soil that haven't been exposed to water for a really long time. And when groundwater rises, those pollutants could be mobilized. And disadvantaged communities are six times more likely to live near those facilities at risk of flooding. But Batha says there's good news, too. This year, California allocated more money than ever toward combating the effects of climate change. Sea level rise is making us face kind of unprecedented challenges. But I think that when it comes down to it, we all we all love our shoreline and we want it to continue to be safe and resilient. Back on the beach in Malibu, the king tide is over. The little window into our future only lasts about an hour. But hundreds of photos are on their way to environmental scientists to help us mitigate how much the water rises and plan for a future when it inevitably does. For the California Report, I'm Kaylee Wells in Malibu. And that is the California Report for Monday, January 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks for listening. Talk tomorrow. Support for the California Report comes from the California Healthcare Foundation, working to build a more effective, compassionate, and just healthcare system. On the web at chcf.org slash health equity. Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, focused on finding exceptional people and helping them do more for others together. On the web at schmidtfutures.com. And hint. Fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Adelfetah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.